I thought I read in your site that you've done archaeology. That's right. Right. I'm interested <laughs> in that. Right. <laughs> It was a brilliant game. Well, yeah, I caught look at Colin's eyes glazing over, man. Like, oh, like, <laughs> it's, it, it's a wrong or a joke in this show that I anything that wasn't in colour or HD, I just lose all the interest. In. <laughs> but I'm, I'll, I'll pay special attention to this part because if anybody's going to sell archaeology to me, it'll be you, Karen. So <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Um, so w- w- why, for a start, like, like I'll, I just automatically think that if you get into archaeology, it's because you love dinosaurs. No, that's paleontology. Is it right? Okay. Oh, oh, For dear. sake, Jack. Oh, Imagine not knowing that. Leave. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're storming out. Right. This is, um, yeah, um, I loved history um, at school. I had a brilliant history, I had two brilliant history teachers, Mr. Alexander and Mrs. Roberts. Right. Both phenomenally good. Um, and, and I think I also loved history because it's fundamentally about trying to work out what makes people tick, really. Which is kind of what acting is as well, is is trying to get a handle on why somebody would do something a particular way, why they would say that. Um, so I, as I said, I was going to do film and TV studies and I was going to be a researcher and that was how I was going to be an actor, sneakily. Um, and I got accepted at Stirling and I got accepted at Glasgow and I thought, well, I'll go to Glasgow because that way I can stay at home and it's cheap because yeah. money was always relatively tight. Um, when I was younger, um, because because I grew up in an era where like jobs kept on vanishing constantly because it was the last time we had a conservative government for a long period of time and people were constantly getting made unemployed. Um, so anyway, I decided I would go to Glasgow, went to my course interview with my course supervisor mm. and there was a post-it note on my file saying no F and T and she was like, yeah, we just accept you to the arts faculty, not the specific course, and that one's full. You'll need to pick something else. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, 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 it's full. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and I asked about archaeology and she talked me out of it and told me I should do sociology instead so that I could get my ordinary degree. And I was like, okay. And then I left and... and it's, it's one of those points, it's one of those trouser legs of time. I was never somebody that was very good at complaining or fighting back or anything like that. I always kind of rolled over on things. But I was really, really uncomfortable with the idea. So, so I actually went and found a phone box in Glasgow City Centre, which shows you how long ago it was. It was 1990 I went to uni, so it was a long time ago. Right. Um, found a phone box and phoned her back and was like, no, I really want to do archaeology as my third subject. So I was going to do English Lit, Theatre Studies and something else. And I was like, I really want to do archaeology. So she reluctantly let me sign up to that course. I didn't really take it into account at the time. The second Indiana Jones movie wasn't that far in the distance. And the archaeology department had exploded with like millions of people wanting to do archaeology. Um, So... That was why she was trying to put me off it because the, the the class was vast. There was like 150 of us in first year or something. It was the biggest they'd ever seen. They'd had to bump psychology to another building. I mean, it was like a disaster. Um, but I, I just I just loved it. I loved it because it was about people, really. And it was... And, and looking at... Because the thing about archaeology as well is it's not about treasure hunting. It's about the ordinary stuff that tells you how people were actually living, trying to work out what their lives were like when you can't ask them and you can't read about it, but you can use their stuff to go, I mean, this guy, this house here, 
this guy ate tons of fish. And he obviously smoked like a chimney because there's tons of bits of clay pipe lying about. And and I think he was a baker because look at his fireplace and look at the bits of pottery that are lying about. That tells you that what his job... So I've worked out that this guy had a job, what he liked to eat. Like I've worked out stuff about his life just from things in the ground. And that's that fascinated me. And there was also a practical element. You had to go on digs and I loved that. With my wee pointing trowel, scraping at the ground. Because they do this sort of like super up-to-date archaeology now where they shoot from space, basically. Yeah. And they shoot down and look at the land and try to figure out from space, like like you say, how people live in the past, cities. I don't know how they extrapolate from some of the things that they find. I'll never figure that out because I'm never going to be an archaeologist. But that sort of stuff does fascinate me, like... History's my my go to podcast listens basically. Yeah. It just has been for the past couple of years. It's just history podcast. Um so yeah. Um I did get it mixed up with the dinosaur thing, but so, so <laughs> no, much, not at shows, all. shows you how much I actually take in. You know? <laughs> I feel like such an arse for doing that now. That was such no, a but it was like, wrong. smug correct that's thing actually, to do. That's actually why the podcast's called what it's called, because we just get <laughs> things wrong um, <laughs> all of the time. So right, back to like 2000, you say? 2003, uh, Monica, Monica Glenn. Now, how we spoke to Sean Williamson, Barry, from EastEnders a while mm-hmm. ago, like, I brought up IMDB to him, and he was like, it's like the most unreliable thing in the world. Oh, it is. <laughs> right, okay, so <laughs> there's a bunch of short films and stuff like that that mm-hmm. you did. And this is going to sound bad. Was this sort of... What's the point of short films? Practice. Um, is it good to be practicing? Right, okay. I didn't mean specifically for you. I just meant sort of... In je- is it practice for, like, producer, people walking behind it, people acting? To an extent, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's a, it's an art form in its own right. Um, and making a really good short film is really hard. Making a bad short film, it turns out, is quite easy. It's quite easy. But, um, <laughs> but making a really good one is hard. Um, there are some fabulous short films, um, but they they do exist, I think, to a, to a reasonably large extent, as a way for people to get experience and to and to get really good at. Because the thing is, if you're telling a full story in a ten minute short film, you better like unlike me, you better not be verbose, you better not go around the houses, you better get straight to the point. Um. So it's 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 a really good way of honing your craft, but but there are they are an art form in their own right as well. I think, and there are some genuinely beautiful short films. That's why the Oscars have a short film category. It's probably just me. I don't, don't think being ignorant, but it's an art form then that I've just never really engaged with. I suppose as the short film industry. I, I don't. Yeah. Just, I would never. I would never like just sit down for seven minutes or. 15 minutes to then watch a, a short film, but maybe that says more about me than anything else, I think. Not necessarily. I mean, we're not exposed to it, like, because we don't, it's not like there's many of them on television. You know, most of the stuff yeah. I consume, I watch on my, a screen in my house, and if you don't show me it, then I won't see it. They, I think they came to prominence most recently for the for our generation, probably, is the, is the, sh- the Pixar shorts. Yeah. Or a Pixar film. Yeah, and oh, I, I love them. 
yeah, the, the, I don't think I've ever seen a bad one. Like no. they're always they're always just so well done, and I think like a lot of them have been done as almost a showcase. I think for directors and people and filmmakers as well to say like, this is what I've done with five thousand pound. Imagine what I could do if you gave me five million pound or something. Yeah. Like that, you know. Well, I think that is a big part of it. Is it's a calling card for you, but but it does. It takes a lot of skill to do it well. And if you've got to the point where you can make a really good short film, I guarantee you, you could make a really good feature. One of Marvel the, are one doing of it the... nowadays as well with like three minute films, are they not? Are they? Marvel have got, that. yeah, like the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has got like three three minute films on Disney Plus at the moment. Oh, I've not watched any of them because it, they, because it they, they didn't particularly grab my attention. But yeah, I'm pretty sure the Marvel Cinematic Universe is engaging with that sort of. Short form storytelling. Mm. Now. One of the one of the other things that you've done quite a bit of, Karen, which I have no knowledge of whatsoever, and the more I think about it, the more I think I might be missing out, is radio drama or radio plays. Yeah. Um, you did five months at the BBC, where I, I think you, you battered through some amount of them with some very, <laughs> very varied and diverse <laughs> characters that you played. Um, I suppose in a lot of ways, that's it shouldn't be that out there to listen to. A drama on the radio because it, it's, it's obviously just so speech driven and dialogue driven and that's what you need to hear yeah but i suppose my in my head still young but not really brain tells me i need moving pictures i need stimulated with the eyes and everything but yeah. it's a whole new medium that i just don't know anything about the thing is though so one of the people i've worked with a few times is a man called dark mags right dark mags is a am i allowed to swear on this yes dark mags is a fucking genius Right, okay. A genius. And he describes what he does as audio movies. Because what he's doing is he's giving you everything you need for all those pictures to be in your head without having to see them. So it means that you can be walking along, going to your work, listening in the car, but in your head you're seeing that whole thing. And he he does incredible work. So he's the guy that makes Sandman and he's made a whole variety of aliens ones and Superman and, and he did Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the later versions oh. of that. He's, he, like, he, 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 and he's a genius. Um, I would recommend that you try a bit of his stuff and I okay. think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, the, write, again, writing well for radio is difficult because people sort of, <laughs> people have a tendency to have characters going, now, don't come towards me with that gun in your hand like that, waving it at me. And I'm like, no, you, you, you don't need to. There's a there's a neater way. There's a better way for me to know that that's what's happening without you having to give somebody all that exposition. Um, good radio writers are really hard to find. But the, when so, they do it well. So the Sandman and stuff like that, they're basically, are they all audible originals? They, that's audible original, yeah. yeah. Um, and putting, aliens as well. Yeah, I think I think I might have listened to one of the alien ones a while ago, and again, it's just something that it shouldn't be that big a leap. Big into podcasts and stuff like that, it shouldn't be that big a leap to to get into that. But again, I've just never really found one that's that's really grabbed me. But the Sandman sounds sounds reasonably interesting. Is that three different books or is that episodic? Um, it's so it's now in th- they've done the first three series of it. I suppose you would call it. Um, right. So it's. And each make... one's about 18 or 20 kind of chapters in each. Well, they call it chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, don't they? can't remember. Um, but each one's the... got like 20 different episodes or something, but they're, they're 
stunning. They're so good. I'm really proud of being part of that. It's amazing. The same and one with the Sandman that was on Netflix. Is it the same thing? Yeah, uh-huh. Right, okay. So it's they're all based on books by Neil Gaiman, who I met and I and I was him? just like, Oh my god, hi, <laughs> Mr. Gaiman. Um so like I, I, I think you're awesome and yeah. uh because he came in and he was so nice he sat and had lunch with us and stuff like that and i was just like oh my god and then i was such a tool because <laughs> i had to go I, I, i'm very i can't stop myself just saying the, the truth a lot of the time as well and i was like um i have to be really honest i only actually got into reading your books because like i totally love sir terry pratchett and i, I only read good omens because he co-wrote it with you um, but, um, but then once I'd read it and he was like and he, he said well there's that's a very wonderful way to get into reading someone and I was like oh, oh my god I love you did you not um, find yourself having lunch or next to lunch with Brian Blessed at one point as well yes uh-huh. that, he wasn't in the show that we were doing though that, um, there's a recording studio called The Sound House in Acton I was actually working with Dirk that time as well though because it was okay. we were doing something called Stardust which is another um, I started this Neil Gaiman. Um, was that Jonathan Ross's wife that was involved in that at one point? She did the film version or something. Yes, that's that? right. Yeah, yeah, I think she wrote the film script. Um, Jane Goldman. That's the one. Uh, so we were recording an audio drama of that, um, which was amazing. And the guy that played Dennis Penis was in it as the pirate oh. captain, and I was one of his pirates. So it was, he was he was lovely. He was hilarious. Another one of these ones that had like a cast of just oh, every so often I was just I'd, I'd be sitting in rooms just like oh my god, I'm the only person here that I haven't heard of. <laughs> Everybody was famous, because like, oh, that one had um, Eleanor Braun in it, and Eleanor Braun. A lot of people don't know who she is, but I was really starstruck. She was an original member of the Establishment Club. She was one of the performers that started the Establishment Club with Peter Cook in the 60s. Like oh, She was right, part of the okay. satire boom. She's in help with the Beatles. Wow. She's like, she's a, like, she's mind-blowingly good. And I was just like, oh, it's Eleanor Brown. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and Brian Blessed was sat at the lunch tables next to us so we're all sitting just being like eh, eh, lads eh, that's, eh, that's Brian Blessed oh, that's Brian Blessed by the way I don't know if you can see that but that's Brian Blessed and he, and he just sat and swore at the top of his voice all lunch <laughs> in Brian Blessed just like and it was magnificent I've never heard the word fuck uttered with such relish at like four thousand decibels as it echoed all through acting. Um so yeah. So I, I saw a lot of famous people when I was doing radio stuff. And I have to say every single one of them was lovely. Yeah, I've not met an arse. Not once. I definitely definitely check it out. I think the closest stuff came to it is a podcast called Brian and Roger. I don't oh, know if yeah. you've heard of that, but it's uh it's two guys who communicate with each other purely through voicemails. <laughs> and it's, it's it, fantastic it's amazing it's one very nice very innocent guy and one bastard and <laughs> the, the dialogue between them both is just wonderful but it's basically you're just basically listening to their voicemail messages to each other and it doesn't sound like it would work but it does and i love that and i suppose the next step up from that is a, is a radio drama of some description so i need to broaden my horizons and try it out i think I, I, the thing is if you find one that gets you and hooks you in i, I would recommend trying sandman I really would because it's just 
it's, it's just glow. I I'm I love it. Um, anything by Dark, I would really recommend. But there's there's loads of them. There's stuff I've heard on Radio Four that's that, that like you don't want to get out of the car because you don't want to miss the end. Do you know what I mean? You you, you end up sitting there with an the engine running for an extra fifteen minutes. Um, and it's it's such an exciting place for someone like me to work because if you can't see my face, I can be anybody. Well, that's and I can it. Come yeah, from anywhere. It opens up every role, do you? Uh-huh. Doesn't it? Like, and, and I, 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 forgive me for not remembering, but I, I remember reading a list of some of the things you did. Did you play a seagull or something like that? I did. Point? I was dead. Yeah. I, yes, I did. Um, <laughs> in Watership Down, and uh, there was a studio manager. Well, um, following me with two tea towels to be my wings. <laughs> she was flapping about behind me, See, flapping these two tea towels when I was flying, and then I would land. Um, and we all had to have bare feet because seagulls and rabbits don't have shoes. Of course. That's a true story. So there was all these really well known actors stoting about the studios at the BBC in their socks because rabbits don't wear shoes. Um, and I was a Russian seagull as well. So um, that was quite exciting. I was called Kihar. Okay. Hello, I am Kihar. <laughs> I'm hearing a Russian seagull in that. That works for me. Just, you would hear it more if she was flapping. Uh, yeah, it's missing the tea towels. I absolutely, um, it's missing it's the, the tea towels. Tiny things that really sell it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was uh, when I was on the so I was on what they call the radio drama company at the BBC, and you fill in loads and loads of different roles. Um, I was Australian more times than I was Scottish in oh. the five months I was there, and I was I came from everywhere. I played the whole so I was because in Sandman I also play a gargoyle called Goldie. Okay. And uh, Goldie's like a tiny baby gargoyle, and literally, literally, I just go like this, <laughs> and I did, and then I'm just being like this wee gar, this wee baby gargoyle, and a bit of me was like, it'll probably just fill that in with something, but it's not. I am actually that character. I get to play it all the time because that's how it's written in the book. It's Goldie's speech bubbles because the graphic novel Sandman, mm-hmm. and it literally just says. E E E A R A R A R A R A R G G G G R R A A and it, like so I was just trying to interpret that going <laughs> and like in in those five months do you you must be able to do a fair lot of a lot of them in that time because you don't have costumes you're able to read the lines rather than memorize them all and stuff like that Does, oh yeah yeah you probably turn through quite a lot oh you do um so most radio dramas are recorded in two or three days you maybe get three takes and move on so you you arrive the first morning everybody sits in one room and you read it out loud once and then you just start you just batter through um so it can be really intimidating and it's it's weird as well because um in a in a radio studio obviously the the people who are doing the recording and the director and everything sit in the booth (coughs) and you're in the studio so you can see them but it's designed so you can't hear them so that they, they yeah. don't bleed through in the recording, right? So you finish a take and then you just kind of look really expectantly and all you can see is everybody having really serious discussions in the room and you're like, oh, no. They're, they, they think I'm shit. They hate me. It was bad, wasn't it? It was really bad. And then eventually they'll press the wee button and you'll just hear this wee tinny voice going, so we're going to go again? <laughs> and you're like... was it it me was it me and then you do it a second time and then they have a massive discussion and you're like i'm fired i'm fired and they go 
that's a take. And in your head, you're going, is it a take because it was good? Or is it a take because you're like, I can't get in. This, this is as good as it's going to get. What does it mean? And then I've sat in the booth and usually they're doing things like going, maybe if we put an eagle call just at the moment, see when, see when that character said that, maybe the eagle's flying over in the back. And they're having discussions about really random stuff that's got nothing to do with what you did. But you can just see their mouths moving. You don't know what they're saying. And everybody looks so serious. You're like, oh, <laughs> no, I'm dying. The paranoia just kicks in, doesn't it? <laughs> like, I know it's like a totally different scale. Um, did you watch The Last of Us when it was on telly? I did not. You didn't, right, okay. Like, I really, really enjoyed it, you know. But they've done a behind-the-scenes thing there and the amount of time they spent getting the the zombie clicker noises right for the (laughs) the two people was... You're talking days. Days of people making clicky noises until they got it right. So it's not quite as high scale as that, but you're not spending tens of millions of pounds on it, I suppose. So that's where the difference lies. If you haven't watched The Last of Us, if you get any... We do, like, some TV recommendations and stuff like that every now and again for our listeners, so... Have you been watching anything interesting recently? Anything that you would recommend to the the thousands of people listening? I mean, I would always recommend Ghosts to anybody I, ever. Obviously. Uh-huh. Um, I met the guy that played Keith Darren Deans on a radio thing and I genuinely nearly kicked my pants. I was <laughs> so excited. And then, yeah, so I would definitely watch Ghosts. Um, what have I seen recently that I really liked? Oh, my mind's gone completely blank because I've been wrestling with a stupid wardrobe for five days that I've had to eventually admit defeat and throw out. Um, that's all I've been thinking about. Um, we watch a lot of documentaries. Yep, I'm, okay. I'm quite a fan of a documentary. I'm really enjoying Paramedics on Scene, actually, right, okay. the new series of that. Um, my, 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 my girlfriend is called Karen as well. All right. She really loves, that's her go-to stuff is sort of like... 24 hours in police custody and those sort of documents. I love 24 hours in police custody. I am obsessed with it. It's brilliant, uh, to be fair. Oh my God, I really enjoy it. It's so good. Did you see the one where they were trying to catch the guy that was black that was um, blackmailing someone and he didn't show up and it turned out it's because he was on the surveillance squad? No. no. Oh my God, genuinely blue. It's the best ever. Somebody thought... sent this blackmail note, right? And the person they were blackmailing contacted the police and the police set up a sting to try and catch the blackmailer and the blackmailer didn't show up and it literally turned out he was one of the comms officers. <laughs> I thought they were like, and they'd sort of, they started working it out. So there, there's this really awkward bit in the middle of the documentary where they're going, everybody's being really cagey and they're not really discussing stuff on camera and it's because it's one of their own gangs, gangs that was doing it. But he hadn't even... He'd written the blackmail note in his house, right, on a computer. But he'd done it more than once and he'd left it in the waste paper bin. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? Oh, I love 24 hours in police custody. Um, my mum watches a lot of dead body television, which is what my I call it. Which does is, that? Oh, she's obsessed. Yeah. So what's dead body That's body her body? go-to. What is that, sorry? Just any of those ones... Um, any of the uh, Dead at Dawn, uh, Killer in My Family, Britain's Most Evil Killer, The World's Most Evil Killer, Murder yeah. by the Sea, all of those. We we, we see a lot of those. Um, Ten Pound Palms is supposed to be great. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but so I know there's a lot of really good people in it. Some of my work was talking about that and they weren't, they didn't seem over enamoured by it. 
Um, the guy kind of said it was almost, it was like his wife was forcing him to watch it, so he didn't have much to say about that. I did watch mm-hmm. Scottish programmes I watched recently, um, Crime, Dougray Scott on STV. I've good. not seen it and I, I, I really need to watch it. I actually auditioned for it and didn't get it. But oh, my friend Sarah got the part I auditioned for. So, <laughs> so, you're, like, so you're not watching it, you're like, yeah. Yeah. the hell with him. Yeah, the hell um, with him. Decent, it was good. Um, because it was an Irvin Welsh or based on Irvin Welsh, you know, you, you kind of know what was coming. And it, yeah. maybe, in my opinion, maybe went a little bit OTT on the whole sort of that side of things. The whole <laughs> personal demons and taking her as a cocaine and stuff like that could have maybe been toned in a little bit, but maybe that's just, <laughs> just a personal opinion. Um, no, that's fair. <clears throat> um, I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, oh God, what's it called? It was a film. Oh God, names completely escaped me. Gary Lamont's in it anyway. Boiling Point. Boiling Point. They're making a series of Boiling Point. And I'm, series, Robert, are they? Yeah. I'm keen to see that because Gary's amazing and I love him and yeah, he's a lovely guy. So I'm quite keen to see that. And what else? Uh, oh, Leah McRae's doing one just now that's all that's set on a train with Alexandra Roach, I think. They're filming it right now and that looks quite cool. It's a bit like an overnight train up from London to Glasgow, I think. Right, okay. I don't know very much about it. I started watching uh, The Gold with Jack Loudon in it. I watched the first episode of it and kind of wasn't, I wasn't drawn in. I wasn't like, I need to see episode two. Yeah, I struggled with it because I, I, I didn't actually watch it all. He was phenomenally good and the whole cast were really good. The problem was, actually, I was like, the the man that Jack Loudon was playing is a horrible, horrible man. And there's something about Jack Loudon that's so likeable that I was like, it's turning me off because you're actually making a really horrible person a bit more do you find that sort of, Do you find that sort of, like... When it comes to dramatizations of nasty, horrible people, like for example, there was a program about Jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. sort of humanizes them or whatever, or P.T. Barnum, he was Hugh Jackman singing songs. Yeah, he was a, like, like a really fucking horrible person in real life. So, like, do you, do you have issues with sort of that when it comes to dramatizations of bad people? Like, especially if you know the, if you know the person as a, a good guy or whatever that starred them, does that? Twist no, the, I. I, I I mean, it depends. I don't have an inherent issue with dramatizations about bad people. So, for instance, I watched um, Incredibly Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, which was the Ted Bundy one with um, Zac Efron. Oh, Zac Ted Efron, Bundy. exactly. Yeah. Right, okay. I enjoyed that. He's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I, that one I didn't mind because I felt... It wasn't really about, he he wasn't the hero of the story. He wasn't the point of the story. The story was about the woman who he was living with and how her life got so conflicted and so confusing because, you know, and what happened to her. I don't mind that. I think, I think we've kind of reached the point now where there's been an awful lot of dramas about serial killers. And I think we're in danger of turning them into heroes to an extent. Have you seen the new AI stuff that people are doing on TikTok? It's fucking horrendous, Colin. Have you seen this? 
whether like what? they're 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 creating AI videos of murder victims. Oh God, no! I'm not, telling I'm their story, AI stuff, but I've not seen that. It's horrendous, man. Like it's vile. It's like you got like a wee six year old kid, AI kid, looks exactly like, and it's saying. And then I the d- guy came and did this. It's it's horrible, man. It's giving me the jeebies. It, like I, that's far too far. I'll openly admit to being me and Colin. We do serial killer shows every now and again. I do have a morbid fascination with them, but some of it I think went a little bit too far when them when they're like. Well, this is this is the challenge. I listen to a lot of podcasts about serial killers. I've read a lot of books about murders and stuff like that. And and I think I, I don't know. I feel like we've just gone too far across Maybe. the divide now, where it's become entertainment. And and I was interested in it because I've always been interested in it. I suppose because you just want to understand. And and I think certainly I've, I assume. Part of it is you're hoping that there's some sort of tale that somehow you can look at it and go, I mean, there's probably a way to avoid that. I think that's what draws you to want to know what they did and why they did it, because you're secretly going, how do we work out to make, to to not let that happen? But the victims of all these crimes have now become, well, have always been very secondary, but they've become even more secondary and they've become just a plot device to make the story of some person really interesting whereas in fact to me most murderers are pathetic narcissistic there's nothing redeemable about them but they're not monsters they're just kind of shite people yeah i think one of the most like 2023 things i've heard in a long time was after the dalmar netflix show that jack mentioned Uh sales of his type of glasses went through the roof people were behind Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses suddenly became a fashion item. Yeah. And I was like, come on, I'm, I'm currently reading quite an interesting book about... It's not about Jack the Ripper, it's about his five victims. By Harry Rubenhold? Yeah, yeah. It's a great book. Yeah, I know it. the very book. Yeah, um, so I've been reading that recently. So I'm actually reading it, Colin, like, a, like an actual book. Because um, I tend it's to usually audio for you. It's so usually audio good. books, but um, um, Karen picked it up for me in the wee she works in pubs, there's always a wee library bit in pubs. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been reading that, and it's a really, it's like a, a new take on Jack the Ripper because you don't know, it's fine, you don't know his victims, nobody knows who, but they're trying to sort of break them down and humanize them. So, I've got a lot of time for what was the author's name again? Hallie, Hallie Rubenhold. Yeah, um, she's done a, but she's come under so much fire. Why? I don't know. Uh, Ripperologists really, really dislike her what? mainly because she's kind of ruining the fun because she's. She's making Jack the Ripper seem like probably a bit of a shit guy <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than this mythical anti-hero that he's been <clears throat> over the last 150 years. She's going, no, this is a kind of pathetic, shitty man who mm-hmm. attacked women who may have just been sleeping in the street. He wasn't like a superhero. He wasn't incredibly adept. He successfully slit some people's throats when they were either pissed or sleeping. Yeah. Doesn't make him a That's hero. Coming on, is he? Uh-huh. Um, to, to, to try and just bring things kind of full circle, oh, so I know, no, I know we've, been, we've been talking just over an hour or so now. There was a, a, a kind of a question, Officer Karen question, I wanted to get back to, if that's okay. all right. Um, it was something I read about um, an interaction you had with the police yourself, and they kind of recognised you as Officer Karen. It was something to do with a burning bush or something. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is a true story. So, what, what happened there? <sighs> it's quite a long story. Um, so, we had this conifer at our front gate, right? 
And we right. live on a street which leads from a local high school to a park and then across the park to other areas of the area where I live. Right. So school children walk back and forth because they're going home from school. And one day we were in the house and somebody chapped the door. And, oh, I should also point out, there's a primary school not far from us as well, so there's always tons of cars parked round about school leaving time because everybody's picking up their kids because nobody in Glasgow has any bones in their legs anymore and all the children yeah. are driven everywhere. Kids need lifted school every day. Uh, it's mad. Yeah, um, that's a different story. So <laughs> that's my wee rant that I won't do just now. <laughs> um, but Daisy Beep Beep that sits outside and toots constantly because she won't even get out of the car to go and get her kids who's going to get in the balls one day, I swear to God. Anyway, so... Somebody was chatting the door and I went down to open the door and as it opened, I was hearing this funny noise and this person went, is that your car? Parked out the front and I looked out and the, the conifer was like a Roman candle. It had just gone up. It was like burning wildly. And uh, there was a car parked quite near it and they were like, I'm just about worried it might explode. And I was like, no, 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 my car's round the corner. So we phoned, somebody phoned the fire brigade and then I was trying to put it out with a hose and the hose was full of kinks so there was no water coming out of it. It was like a total, it was an absolute comedy of errors. So I'm trying to spit this thing to death <laughs> with this hose and there's kids in the park going, did I fire? Did I fire? And then <laughs> and somebody else went, I seen the wee bastards that done it. They were for the school, aye. They were they had a, one of the cans of deodorant and they were lighting it with a lighter, aye. So the fire brigade came and damped down what was left of the conifer. And uh, the, the wee kids in the park saw the, the deodorant can and one of them went over and picked it up and then another one went, no, you're not meant to touch it. So they put it back. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I phoned the school and spoke to a really unhelpful person at the school. And I was like, I've just, could you please express to the children <laughs> that setting fire to trees is a bad idea because it could have been quite nasty. And she went, well, do you know which children it was? <laughs> and uh-huh. I said, no, I don't. But somebody saw them and they were definitely wearing the uniform of your school. And she went, well, if you can't tell us which particular children it was, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> And I was like, well, could you maybe just express to the children generally Aye. that setting fire to stuff is a bad idea? Well, I mean, if it was outside the school hours. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was so mad <laughs> about it because of the way she had treated me, actually, that I phoned 101. And I explained what had happened. And they said, oh, can we send, we'll send someone round? I was like, right, okay. So... Two police officers, Julie, came round to the house. And unbeknownst to me, my mum had gone out to retrieve the deodorant can in case it was forensically important to the case. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she had taken a bag that had bananas in it out of Morrison's, picked it up so she didn't contaminate it with her own fingerprints. So it would only have the children's fingerprints and the fingerprints of the perpetrators and brought it into the house. So these two, <laughs> these two police officers showed up and one of them was a probationer, I think, um, or was still relatively new on the job anyway. So the senior police officer, the, the community officer, went off to speak to some other people round about and left the junior one to take my statement. And she'd gone, she'd been, and she was so detailed about it. So, and she very patiently wrote out 
I seen the the wee bastards that done it. They were like everything I said she was writing it all down. I was like, honest to God. And I was from the outset, I was like, I'm not expecting you to catch them. That's not the point. I just want someone to go to the school and say to the kids, don't use deodorant, set fire to stuff because you could die or you could kill somebody else. Just just don't do it. It's a stupid idea. And we were three quarters of the way through it, right? And eventually she went, oh, actually, I've not written down, I should have written down what it is you do as well. Are you working? And I said, "Um, well, yeah. And she said, what is it you do? And I said, I'm an actor. And she went, all right. And then she did that, like, you know, the double take. (laughs) And I was like, oh, God. (laughs) And then she kept going for a wee bit. And then eventually she was like, I'm sorry, I need to ask, are you in Scott Scott? (laughs) And I was like, Yes, I am. <laughs> and she was like, I love it. I think it's amazing. And then she carried on taking this really torturous statement for another 25 minutes. It was so uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, that's how I encountered a lovely police officer. Um, and uh, and it turned out, to, to be perfectly honest, it turned out the reason that they wanted a statement is because somebody had discarded a knife into another garden in the area. Oh, okay. And the police actually this was ideal because it gave them an opportunity to go into the school to talk about the tree thing but it also meant that they could maybe have a chat with the school about the knife thing because they knew it had been a kid that had got rid of that as well and to give like I have a lot of respect for the police I know that there are you know people have different experiences with them they've always been really good with me long before I was ever in the show I've I've always had positive interactions with them but um yeah the it's a tough job and trying to discourage kids from carrying knives is a huge part of what they do and and it's really important (laughs) yeah Uh, but a few of the listeners are police officers actually one of them's got to come on and have a conversation with us yeah yeah um to get the two sides of the story because there will be there will be some of our listeners that are very much of the police are rotten and there'll be very much others that are of the opposite opinion but that's a, a conversation for another day I think oh totally no well for me personally I have a huge amount of respect for what the police do they are dealing with people in the worst often at the worst, worst moment, moment of their life aye, aye. Totally. and they the, every time I've encountered them they've always treated me really well really compassionately um and I and and the ones I've encountered doing training courses up at the college and stuff like that, that like that I I really think, I think there's bad apples in every job yeah. in the world. Do you I know what I mean? I'm not saying there's no bad police officers, but the most of them are there just trying yeah. their best. Just before we wrap this up, I do think there's a there can be a massive <clears throat> problem with people a distinction between a police officer and police as an institution. Yeah. And it's it's separating that to the guy doing his job to the best of his ability while you're in a bad place to the maybe the overarching thoughts about police as mm-hmm. a whole, basically. Um, yeah. But we, we're actually recording in a couple of minutes, Karen, with somebody else, so oh. unfortunately we're going to have to... Not at all, I'm up. sorry I've waffled so no, much. Um, <laughs> not at all, it's been, it's been excellent. It's, it's really, been fantastic. Really what, what, it, what it does mean is we can get two parts of it as well, so <laughs> <laughs> it saves us a recording next week, Karen, so you've been... <laughs> It's been fantastic. I really enjoyed that con- our conversations there. So thank you very much. 
No, thank yeah, you for having me. Uh, it's been it's, lovely. I'm so sorry. I'm so verbose. I never shut up. So <laughs> a disaster in real life. <laughs> not at all. Um, while you're on, is there is there anything you want to kind of link to or get the, get the word out of or promote at all or anything? I mean, the main things are, um, if you've not heard Noising Up on BBC Radio Scotland, that was a, a satirical a topical comedy show that we were doing um, and I was really proud of that which Stuart McPherson wrote for and Manjit Sumal was in along with Lana Faiton and Zara Janjua and Stephen Buchanan um, or uh, anything on Audible by Dark Mags because Dark Mags is my god um, and Scott's God is available on the BBC iPlayer all eight series and Hugmanay specials and Christmas specials and anything we've ever done uh, please watch it because because um, they've cancelled it so that's the only one you can watch um, and I'm sad uh, yeah um, and and just and keep an eye out for like the stand-up gigs For the, there's so many really good stand-ups Darren's got a great um, gig yeah. going on Chris Forbes like go and see his stand-up go and see Stuart's stand-up I've got tickets one of Stuart's work in progress shows coming up I've got tickets for he's that he's a funny funny guy him um, and the Sam so, Laugh Boys are great with their stuff they do so I really enjoy that yeah um, but thank you so much for for having me and and uh, yeah, it's been lovely to chat to you both. No, thank you, thank you for coming on. Excellent. Right, guys, we will speak to you soon. Cheers for tuning in. Bye. Colin, I personally don't think there's anybody still listening, and if they are, they're pretty hardcore long-term memory fans, and I would be expecting them to go and sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wrong term memory or by clicking the link in the show notes absolutely and if for whatever reason they can't do that and paying for content isn't their bag they can still offer us continual support by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts (laughs) 